we were talking about probably one of the most your one of your most favorite things to talk about. Do you remember what we talked about last time I was here? No, it wasn't covenant, although you were close. We're talking about struggle. And in being able to be in that place where we are not struggle averse. <laughs> Tonight's teaching, which they just found out about eight seconds ago, that's how amazing our AV department is. The title of tonight's teaching is The Struggle Zone. Now, you only get to be in, you know, you buy your ticket, but you only get to be in the struggle zone for a very, 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 very short period of time. It is only 120 years, but while you are here, it is very important that you get everything you possibly can out of this zone, the struggle zone, because you don't ever get to struggle ever again. Once we leave this zone, once you come out of the zone and you go to heaven, there will be no more struggling. There is nothing there that could ever make you struggle. And so when we are embracing this, a little bit of a lighter theme to tonight's teaching about struggling, because I want to begin to change, you have, we have to begin to change our perspective towards struggling. Because I, I don't know if you know anything about where we might be going. The Holy Spirit is showing you a little bit about where the, the other series that I'm in the middle of right now on covenant. <clears throat> but, you know, when you make a covenant, how many of you remember the words that you, how many of you are married? Or have ever been? How many of you remember the words that you were told you had to say in order to get the good part of the wedding ceremony? By that I mean the turkey dinner. The, what were the words? Do you remember the words? Yeah, excuse me. For better or for worse? For richer, for poorer? In sickness and in health, till death do us part. How many of you said those words or something to that effect? Now, I remember, I, you know, I've, we've, I've married a whole bunch of people. They're typically younger people, but they haven't all been. I love looking into the eyes of people as they're saying those words. Because I know what they're saying. They're saying, listen, I am in this for richer and for better and for healthier. Totally. There is absolutely no reason. You know, but you know what? You don't even have to say those parts. We say those parts because, you know, it's a good way to balance off the ceremony, make it a little bit happy. We're really not saying the good side, are we? What are we saying? We're saying for worse or poorer or whatever the other one was, uh, sicker, you're in this. Isn't that what we're saying? Isn't that really what we're saying? Can we be honest? Anybody ready to be honest with themselves? That's really what we're saying. And so when we are dealing with this old covenant thing, everybody wants covenant with God for the richer and the better and the healthier. Right? Modern Christianity has made an industry out of promising you the healthier and the better and the richer, which I'm okay with that. But you don't get that until you are able to be there for the poorer and the worser and the, and the sicker. You got to be able to say, I'm in this then also. And so when we are studying now, taking a little bit of a Wednesday night uh, detour to talk about struggle. Uh, it's kind of on track. It might seem like it's out of left field, but it's kind of on track for us to be able to say, do I really get the concept here of what God is asking me to do? And why is it so important that I get that done here? Because <clears throat> once I leave the struggle zone, there is no more struggling. 
you don't get to do that on the other side. You don't have to prove anything because it's just gonna be, uh, well, anyways, it's, and the other side of it is to remember that the only time a seed is a seed is if it is a struggle to plant it, okay? Now, I, I, didn't, I wasn't gonna t talk to you about this tonight, but I, maybe we will at another time. But when we are sowing seeds, the only time, <clears throat> let me ask you a question, Garth. Is it a sacrifice for me to give you something if what I give you costs me nothing? No. no. Therefore, the, a, a seed without a struggle is not a seed. Does that make sense to everybody? So, but the key to it, the key to this whole realm, the struggle zone, is all about God giving us an opportunity to sow seeds. Because in heaven, if there is no struggle, finish it, there are no seeds. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. So the whole point <clears throat> in this zone is the struggle. And doing in the struggle what God is asking us to do. Because those are the seeds. Remember the wood, hay, and stubbles, gold, silver, precious stones? There's a separation of things we do. Sometimes we do sacrificial things because we want to be a sounding gong or a, or a tinking cymbal or something like that. And is that going to make it? Absolutely no. Because a sounding gong and a tinking cymbal. Tinking. Yeah, but it's, it's humorous to say tinking. Everybody say that with you. Say tinking. Does it sound as if, see, look how happy you got just by saying the word. A clanging cymbal, resounding gong. Those are the things that we do sacrificially, but they are not seeds. It's a, see, it gets a little, little complicated. That means that I'm actually doing a sacrificial thing for whose gain? My own personal gain, right? So there's a couple of gateways here that we have to be ready. If we're going to use this struggle zone, this very small piece of time that God has given us, if we're going to use it intentionally, then being struggle averse is literally wasting the time that we have been given here. What we should be doing, and I, you know, I, need, to, I need to give you caveats so that I don't wear some tomatoes today. You need to embrace the concept of struggle. Now, I'm not telling you to own your struggles, and I'm going to tell you why in a minute. <clears throat> but the very concept that life is about struggle, just like the very concept, that picture that came off there, we uh, borrowed it from some other logo that was a bounce house. Now, how many of you know, have, have you ever been in a bounce house? Yeah, how does it go exactly? It's rough in there, especially if there's 10 or 12 other kids who are all bouncing too. It's a lot of, you know, it's kind of like going to church there's a lot of interaction. There's a lot of bouncing. There's a lot of, you know, body contact. There's a lot of issues that could come up, right? It's a tough, tough go, kind of like life. But the kids line up. I brought one in here. I brought one into the, into the kids. They'd line up to go in. And they'd stay in there as long as they possibly could. They were taking a kid out of a bounce house. They're, they're, they're literally a, a drenched with sweat. 
because they love it. You see, they are, em they are embracing the whole concept of being in the bounce house and having whatever struggle needs to be gone through, and they are loving every minute of it. Now, can I tell you something? We've been taught that struggle is a bad thing because our, our business world and our marketing world and all of that stuff, they've tried to tell you that we're going to take away all your struggles. We're going to make your life perfect. Remember when they invented computers? All your problems are going to go away when you have computers now. That's not true. But they promised that. And, but they have this, we have this way of thinking about it that kind of my objective in life is to not struggle. And then every time I get invited to struggle, yeah, that's not, that's not for me. Instead of learning how to be, uh, have, how to have the right relationship with struggles in my life. Uh, struggle, and this is really a hard revelation to get your hands around. Struggle is the reason why here is here in the first place. Or God is cruel. So you decide. And so if this zone, if this struggle zone has any purpose at all, it must be intentional. That was a hard, hard demand. It took me 20 years to get this one. I hated the struggle zone. I hated the concept of the struggle zone. I was very much willing to pay somebody else to go into the struggle zone for me. Until I understood that was intentional. And then if it was intentional, you know, I live by this adage, you know, when, whenever I know, whenever I see somebody doing something stupid that I would not do myself, I always have the thought that says they must know something that I don't know. I don't just leave it at their, I'm not allowed to use that word, I'm so sorry. They're the S word, right? They always, nobody does anything dumb. They always do what they do for a good reason. Right. Does that make some sense? So when God does what I thought was dumb, <laughs> you have to sit around and let God show you why he did it. Mm. And the reason he did it was because of seeds. Because this life is all about the seeds that we decide to sow. And then you will get hundredfold in this life and eternal life. Zoe, life like God has it. Okay, here we are. So face the struggle, number one. Uh, don't own it. <clears throat> There's a big difference between facing a struggle and owning the struggle. My life is about struggle. That is true, but that's not the perspective I want, to, you, to, I want you to have. <clears throat> we can say the struggle that I presently have, I'm going to have all of my life. Not true. The struggle that I am in right now, I'm going to learn how to be victorious over that struggle so that I can get back in the line again and struggle some more. That is true. Okay? That's very different. Because what, is go what God is intending that we are doing with our struggles is learning how to be overcomers of those struggles so that one, my life can take a step closer to the destiny and purpose that it was given. And step two, that I could use that anointing that I now carry, that, that victory that I now carry to help somebody else and get the same victory. Amen. That I can increase the corporate anointing in the zone, whenever, whatever zone I'm in, 
I can be part of the kingdom of God on the earth. I can be part of the kingdom of God here. I can be part of the kingdom of God in my family. And all the victories that I get, I can pass on through impartation into the next generation, into the, into the next ripple, whoever is there. That's why God wants us to do it, <clears throat> so that he can cause us to become more and more and more and more and more and more and more effective as the kingdom of God. The only way you're going to get that is by learning how to be victorious over your struggles. If you're not willing to, talked about this last time, if you're not willing to struggle, your destiny is lost. Because the only way you get your destiny is by overcoming whatever battle you have today and becoming victorious over that battle and you get to the next level and... and, and I just want to say, as you're talking... I'm awesome, how are you? Um, I just wanted to say... As you're talking, the word of faith there in me is like, please don't use that word struggle. So, because struggle can have a negative connotation to really? it, right? I never thought of that. Anybody in the room that's like, I resist that struggle in the name of Jesus. <laughs> but I want, I just looked it up in the dictionary and the word struggle means, are you going to say this? No. Okay. The word struggle means a violent or forceful effort to gain freedom. Did you write that down? Oh, man, you just said no. Well, I wasn't going to say it exactly that way, so, but... Okay, but that's what the dictionary says. I appreciate the time we have together. You yes, know, we thank don't, you. Yeah. So I just wanted to say, in case you're sitting in the room and you're saying struggle is a negative, understand the real meaning of what he's saying so that you're not, your soul is not resisting it because you think that the word is negative. So it means a forceful or violent effort to receive freedom. Yes, Amen? Isn't that great? Yeah, so good. Just let that settle in. Christianity has been marked as a kingdom without struggle. Has been marketed, sorry, as a kingdom without struggle. And we should not have done that. Because we fi people find their way into the kingdom, they find out that they're struggling, and so then they're, not, they're out. Instead of understanding the, the concept, understanding the, the, the work properly, and then become, learning how to become an overcomer, which is what we have to learn to be. All of our problems will go away if we pray this prayer. God is going to do everything for you now. He's on your side. Can I tell you something? God has been on your side for 2,000 years. If you're a Jew for 4,500 years, right? That's not the question as to whether God is on your side. What's the question? Are you on, on, you on his side? Right? So all of our journey then is not to, Christianity is not about becoming, uh, getting on God's side or getting God on our side. Now I've got this super partner who is going to take care of all of my needs. And by the way, he's got a lot of dough. That's not what the objective is. God's had a lot of dough since the beginning of forever. And so we've got, we've got our marketing wrong. And so it takes a lot of time before people get into the kingdom. Then they get into the kingdom and they're madder than hornets because it's not going the way somebody promised me it was going to go. When we should have just told them in the beginning, this is how it's going to go. You want it? You don't want it, you know, go off and try it on your own. But, you know, there's a lot of hell out there. And I mean that literally. This is where the answers are. This is where, and we should be, should we, we should be learning the vernacular of being able to explain that to people on the beginning of the journey. I think we'll be much more successful, not just filling up, you know, a concert arena for a night, but we'll fill up the kingdom of God in the earth in a generation. There you are. In, uh, in Matthew chapter 11, it's talking to us about that the violent take it by force. Who's the violent in there? Does anybody know? 
us. It's referring to what? It's referring to the kingdom of God. And that's not a place, that's a people. The kingdom are the violent people and the violent take it by force. That word violent is the word biastis. That's a, it's kind of a cool word. I think we should do a t-shirt that I am a biastis. That means that I'm strong and forceful. See, it's close, eh? You gotta don't wanna say it wrong. I'm strong and forceful. And I use force or violence in order to get what I want. That sounds completely not Christian, right? And then the word force is the word harpazo, also a fun word to say. Go ahead, try it out. Harpazo. Harpazo means to seize, to carry off, carry off by force, to seize on, to claim for one's self eagerly, to snatch out or away. Now, the kingdom then is about empowering people to be biastis. That's what we're supposed to be doing, becoming strong and powerful people ready to fight. That's what it's about. Now, the choices in this world then, if you're, how many of you were born? See, if you were born, your, cho your, cho your choices are limited now. You, because you're born into a world of struggle, that's not an option anymore. It's not like you get to not be in the struggle zone. You already are in the struggle zone. Your choices are, one, to be overcome by the struggle, which is vanquished. How many thought vanquished was a fun word when they heard it first time? No, it's not. We can either be permanently in the same struggle, which is kind of enlisted in the army, but never going anywhere, just sitting there shooting bullets across the fairway, forever. How many think that's fun? No, I don't think does anybody find that fun. Then three, to be victorious over the struggle, yes. an overcomer. But the problem is, is that most of Christianity, because we have not understood some of the things to do with struggle, we have just been either the vanquished or the enlisted. We have not come to the place, and we need to. How many say, yeah, we need to. We need to come to the place where we have learned how to become overcomers intentionally, predictably. So number one, overstrung by, overcome by the struggle. What does his own look like? It's the struggle that comes from doing it wrong. And the fruit now of all of that struggle, of, of all of the doing it wrong, the fruit just keeps multiplying on my life and finally, the, there's just so much fruit that it, it's overbearing to me now and I can't get out. We all start in this zone when we do it wrong. Because all of us have learned how to do it wrong by looking at the facts. But the facts don't tell us what the truth is. And so we've all learned based on facts, by situations, experiences how to do things, and those were all wrong. So everybody starts out in this place. The fruit, and we've already talked about this, the fruit of wrong beliefs are produced, producing wrong outcomes, right? So that's the fruit equation there. Bad fruit only comes from bad trees. Or, or that was... Uh, Matthew chapter 7, if the root is bad, then the fruit is bad. Mm -hmm. 
or James said it, if the, if the water is bad, the stream is bad, the water is always bad. The fountain is always bad. It's always bitter. Because <clears throat> if the beginning of the stream is bad, the end of the stream is going to be bad. And so we recognize that if we are in that place where we are experiencing bad fruit or the struggle, this zone of the struggle is that I'm trying to get rid of the bad fruit that's going on in my life and that bad fruit is overwhelming me. How to fix this? Can I tell you, there's really the simplest, simplest thing to begin the journey of getting it fixed. Can I tell you what it is? It's humility. If we don't start with humility, then we are completely blinded to what could be at the root of the problem. Completely blinded. And I've worked with so many, so many, so many people. But everybody, including myself, I had a rhema the other day. I want the problem to be everybody else. And so do you. As long as you look at the problem being everybody else, you do not have the humility yet that it's going to take to fix it. And it's simple. As long as I just have the humility that says, Lord, it is a bad root that produces bad fruit. I would have written that as a bad wife. Produce, that's how I would have written, because that would have worked better for me. Or a bad friend, or a bad whatever. Or bad government. Or, I would have written that way before I would have written bad root, bad fruit. Because people, and everybody is the same, nobody wants the problem to be me. I want the problem to be somebody else. <clears throat> now, let's do the math here. So I'm in the middle of a struggle, and what I need to do in order to get out of that struggle is take on more struggle, the, the worst of all struggles, which is humility. How's that going to go exactly? So I, I need... I'm struggling, and what I should be doing is adding more struggle to my struggle. Uh, anybody ever thought that that would be the right answer to a struggle problem? Nobody thought that. Most, can I tell you? Most people will not do this. I remember Gloria Copeland saying that. Most people will not do what it takes. They would rather die than do what it takes to get healed. Yeah, it's not a lot to get healed. But it starts with humility. It starts with the ability to say, the root of this fruit is the problem, and the root is in me. And I need to begin to deal with that. They would rather struggle against the fruit and accept the meager life it gives than admit the problem and own it. <clears throat> That's most people. I don't think it's the people in here. And it's typically not the people who are coming towards God. Because their humility was the beginning of the journey, Right? For you to get here, you may not be feeling much humility today, but you have some. You just need to, you know, pull it out of your pocket, buff it up a wee bit, and <laughs> go with it, because it's there. The reason that this is, a big, this is a big problem is because you cannot see the root until you have humility first. Until we're willing to look at it and decide that the problem might there's a super, super slim, almost zero possibility that it could be me. But the possibility, nevertheless, is there. That is the beginning. Because 
if the problem is in here and I'm looking out there, I'm never looking in here. I'm never even trying to figure out what that would mean to look in here. And if you never look inside, then you never find the problem that's actually the, at the root. You might deal with symptoms, but the Lord said to me, he said, who's, who's feeding the pigs now? And he's referencing in Luke chapter 15 when the prodigal son ended up making all of these mistakes and he got some bad fruit going on in his life. As he spent his life, now his job was to feed husks of corn to the pigs. And the Lord said to me, he said, who's feeding them now? Because there's somebody there now waiting for the magical moment in verse 18 when they come to themselves and they realize the problem is not my father. It's not that I ran out of money. It's not my friends who no longer are my friends. It's not even the pigs or the corn. The problem is me. And when they come to myself, there is this magical, all of a sudden you, I mean, I don't know how much time it is. You know, Jesus doesn't have a stop clock on that scripture. But almost right at that moment, he's coming to himself and he's figuring out, I need to go back to my father. I need to repent for what I have done. And I need to, hey, if I accept the, the, the consequences of my actions, I'm willing to do that. It's totally cool. I get it. It's me. Yeah. And he starts his journey. Until that point, how many times did he think it was him? Now once. This is where the problem comes in the struggle, is that we have to be willing in our struggle to add to ourselves the additional struggle of admitting that it's me. Does that make some sense? Okay. That what, when we are now, and when we are in this place of looking for the problem and looking, I'm looking at myself, Chances are, high, very high probability, that the problem that I think it is, even once I have got myself into a place of humility, the problem that I think is the problem is still not the problem. Imagine if I'm here and I've got this beautiful tree, or this ugly tree rather, that's producing all kinds of good fruit. I can cut off one of the branches uh, that I was able to see, and what's going to happen? Does anybody know what happens when you cut, a, cut the branch off a tree? Does it stop bearing fruit? Well, maybe that branch does, but it grows, it grows back, right? Yeah. And what does John chapter 15 tell us about pruning trees? They grow back and they grow back how? Stronger. They bear even more fruit because I was attacking the symptom. I was attacking a branch. I was attacking a leaf instead of getting myself back to the root. And that's, the, that's why religion doesn't work. Because religion deals with the branches. It tries to get us to fix things on the, I'll just, become, I'll just be a better person. I'll just be nicer, right? I'm stressed out to the max, but I'll, you know, I'll just try to be nice on Sundays. No, I, I, mean, I hope you're nice. I hope you try to be nice. But that's not going to fix the problem. Matter of fact, it's going to bottle it up. When you bottle it up, you know, you might be nice to the first guy, but the 10th guy, bite his head right off. <laughs> That's how it goes. That's why we don't do that, right? I mean, you do do that, but you don't do that as an end goal. Right. Does that make some sense? So number two is you're permanently, the, the next level is once we kind of come in now, we're, 
The first level is kind of like I'm out there. I'm not willing to deal with the truth. I'm, not, I'm, I'm just going to fight against the world for all of my days, constantly blaming it on everybody around me and dying alone and miserable. Or I start to get myself involved, but I can start to get myself involved and end up being in this permanent state of battling the same problems over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Why? Because we cut them back And when we cut them back, we make them stronger. Now, it's very important. Let me me, me speak to this. There are things called coping mechanisms that help us to cope in the middle of our journey as we learn to overcome and be overcomers of the struggles that we have. And there are beautiful people, beautiful systems that we need. Things like doctors, and bankers, and counselors, and lawyers, and accountants, and personal trainers, and diet planners, and pastors, in that order. And they are all necessary for us to contribute into our lives because we are not through the journey yet. So, you know, it's like reading glasses. We do this until we we get the faith that we need in order to get our eyes to work properly. If we just throw them away, like I resisted getting reading glasses all the time, probably didn't read my Dake's Bible for two years. I had to read other versions, which I do not like, just because I wouldn't get reading glasses. And that's not smart. One, because I keep telling myself every day that my eyes are going bad. And two, I'm not reading my Bible or doing whatever it is that I'm supposed to be doing. So I'm not against coping, and nor should any of us be against coping mechanisms. We just cannot be accepting the coping mechanism as the way to reduce the struggle now so that I don't ever become victorious over the struggle. I just get it to a manageable level, and I say, okay, I live here for the rest of my life. It's the curse of 50%. Good enough. I can, I can handle this much. It's, it's not God's intention. It's not God's intention to do that, okay? <clears throat> it's also a breeding ground for disappointment, a hopelessness. Yes. Coping mechanisms are will-driven. As long as you have the willpower, they work. But when the willpower wanes, so does the strategy. And so we find ourselves going on this, literally this roller coaster ride for the rest of our lives. Do you know how that doesn't, you know what that feels like? That feels like hopelessness. This is never going to end. I'm never going to get out of this. I just have to learn how to deal with the fact that I'm this person. I, this is my cross to bear. This is my journey. This is fate. God's intended journey for me was that I was going to live in this miserable place. No. There's billions of doctrines out there that'll try to help you deal with that, but that is not God's intention. It makes it easy to quit. Accept the struggle as your lot in life. Just accept it and work with it. Don't waste the energy trying to change something that will never change. How many of you ever prayed this prayer? God, grant me the serenity to change the things I cannot, to accept the things I cannot change. Does it feel noble? The courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Doesn't that sound great? What a pious prayer that is. You know the problem with that prayer is it's amazing how many things move from category two to category one when they cause you to struggle. The wisdom to know the difference, wisdom isn't smart or learning how to not struggle. 
Wisdom is truth. And so when we do that, we don't move stuff from category two, the things I'm supposed to have courage to change into category one, have serenity to leave alone just because they're causing me to have a little bit of discomfort and struggle. When God says you're called to this, you, you, you know you're called to it because you experience it, you perceive it. Do you know there's a billion things wrong with your life right now, but you think there are six? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can prove that to you. Take away the six, what will you have the next day? Six more. Six more. There's, there's tons. Yeah. You just don't know about them yeah. yet. On the way to your destiny, you're going to have problems all the way along. I'm not celebrating the problems. I'm telling us to learn how to overcome them in a predictable way. So that when I wake up in the morning, I say, I got six problems today, perfect. Because I totally know how to overcome those six problems. Right? It's like, uh, it's like uh, Morpheus, you remember? She's not scared. Again, I am not inviting problems into my life. I don't have faith for more problems. What I'm doing is I am refusing to give them supremacy over my life by not being afraid of them. Okay? As if I can learn how to not be afraid of them, because you know the ones of yesterday, they're gone. You know those bills from last month that told me I couldn't pay them? They're in a box downstairs now. They're about to become your neighbors, so come on. Right? That's what you do, because if you don't do it and you're afraid that there may be a little struggle in figuring out how to pay those bills, those bills are starting to have power over your life because you are starting to become afraid of them. Here we are. How to fix it. Okay, this is how you fix this problem of being in this permanent state of battling the same problems every day of your life. One, if they grow back, you are not at the root. Simple, right? I've had problems that have keep coming back up in my life and I thought I fixed them and I didn't fix them, so I get frustrated and start yelling at people. That's what I do first. The second thing I do is realize when I did this the last time, I must not have got the root. So I go back and try to get the root. Okay, there's three, the three trees. If you have, don't have that series, it's a totally do, must-do series that I taught probably, whatever, 10 years ago. And it deals with the three roots. There's five roots, but there are three that we have to deal with at first. One, God provides for me. Two, God protects me. And three, God loves me. And so because of that, all of my experiences in life, all of my self-experiences, my selfish person experiences, are all part of one of those three roots. So when we are coming into them, when we are dealing with them, every one of our negative emotions are part of the five, but they're really mostly in our lives part of the three. We'll get to the other two later. And so all of my negative fruit that I experience is always has to do with one of those three roots. When I can deal with it, I'm going all the way back to the root. Does God provide for me? So what I'm doing is I am moving from unlimited lack to unlimited resource. I'm moving from unlimited pain to unlimited 
joy. I'm moving from a complete and absolute focus on myself, self-promotion and my self-interests, all the way along to the place where I no longer have a thought about myself. Now I can give myself totally to the thoughts and the lives of other people. I am making my way along that journey. Every one of these things that I am fixing that God is asking me to fix by giving me a perception that it might be wrong by allowing me to experience the bad fruit that came from it, I am able to move myself along this journey to become more of an, an abundant person in all of the good things rather than abundant in all the bad things. You see, that's why when the world, when they have unlimited abundance, they have, un, they, even though they would, and let's, let's say they're wrong, they have unlimited lack even though they have a lot of money. They have unlimited pain or fear even though they've built a really high wall around their lives. It doesn't change the situation. That's why what we have to do is when we come along this journey that God is bringing us on, we're not struggling in the problem. We are struggling through the problem to the victory on the other side, which then qualifies us to get another, to take on another struggle, to get further down the road, to get further down the road, to get further down the road, to get further down the road. Because what I'm trying to deal with is the belief system that I need to, to, to provide for myself. I need to protect myself. I need to make sure that I am loved and appreciated and valued and honored. As long as I have to do all of those type of things, I'm living less than the person that God designed me to live, than the person who can perfectly fulfill my destiny. Not that destiny is a point. It's not a place. Destiny is a, is a path. It's just as much my destiny to be doing what I'm doing today as long as I'm, on the, I'm in the will of God as it is to be in the perfect place where I'm walking on water and feeding 20,000 people with a filet of fish sandwich. Does that make some sense? Yes. So as we are going down that, then we're recognizing that I am, I am dealing with something, whatever, I'm fixing whatever belief system is wrong, and then I'm victorious over that thing, but I could still have another battle on that journey. Because, uh, what's the right way to say this? Um, truth is black and white. How many of you know that? Uh, Matthew chapter 7, it's talking about the path, the gate and the path. The gate and the path are both, remember? Narrow. I, and I add these few words, and narrowing. They seem narrow at the very beginning of the journey, but they get narrower and narrower and narrower as you go along. Can I tell you something about truth? Truth is black and white, but it's gray to all of us because we only understand it in a measure. And as we continue to go, long, go down, it gets whiter and whiter from blacker and blacker, but all the way between the black and the white is gray. And so we all live on this journey. It feels like it's gray and I'm getting closer and I've got this great victory and then tomorrow I start off and I start looking for another victory and on that same path of provision and protection and love. Because the end result God's trying to get us to is absolute perfection of that belief system that somebody could set off a nuclear bomb right here in the sanctuary and we'd all go, yeah, what? Because he ain't going to touch us. Now that's possible. Jesus turned himself invisible and walked through a crowd. It's possible to do those things. 
But you got to be, how many of you know, you got to be way the heck down on that journey in order for you to actually believe, bring it on, you know, bring it on. And so, but that doesn't mean that's not the journey. That doesn't mean that we should not today be doing what we need to be doing in order to get ourselves down that journey, a ways. So if all that happens in my life is that I give something to Jessica and then I give something to Alex and then the next thing is Lola gets something and Hudson gets something, that's good. It's worth it that we do that. For me to say, you know what, I'm just not going to struggle anymore. No, forget all that. What have I done? I've short-circuited not just my life, but also the... That's right. Does that make some sense? Yes. Uh, yeah, let's pass over. Okay, then the third one. How to be... So how many of you would like to be anything that we've talked about already? How many of you think, you know, I'd rather just skip right to the overcomer part? <laughs> okay, so then let's talk about how to be an overcomer. I don't think it's actually that hard to be an overcomer. Because the battle that you face today is, is already possible for you to overcome it, yes. or you would not be facing it. That's right. God always gives a way of escape. Always. Which means you can be victorious over it. Yes. You just have to learn. So then you think to yourself, how do I, really? Because this one looks like it's going to take me out. You know, you got one or two every day that it look like they're going to take you out. But they don't. So number one, here's, here's a couple of the clues that I've learned. Uh, no, you must know the why. If you don't know the why, the who, what, where, when, why, and how, and how much will take you out. It won't be long before several of those all combine together. This will be by noon on, let's say, Monday, and you're out. Because the struggle without the why is going to be too much for you. It's going to be quittable. And the second part of that is that the why cannot be selfish. If it is, you will never have the fortitude to see it through. Because when it gets really mucky, it looks unwinnable. It looks like you're wasting your time trying to go down this road. And it's very quittable. The second part of it is that you settle for uh, 10 to 15% of it. And that's good. Just make the pain go away. Just make the struggle go away. This is good. I can, I can take this much. I'll just live here. The short-term magnitude of the struggle will outweigh the perceived personal future benefit. As a matter of fact, you will lose sight of the benefit. You know, when you get that picture of your brand new boat, you can't wait for it to go on it, and then you start realizing that thing is going to cost you $18,000. And about $2,500 on the way to saving that money, you decide, I think I'm not going to get a boat in. I don't really want about that bad. I mean, they're just smelly. <laughs> you talk yourself out of it. You lose right. focus. You lose sight of it. It diminishes. And you settle for less. Way less. You have to know the why. And the only way we get to know the why is by hearing it from God. Because the why that we try to figure out is very selfish in the why. 
We have to be getting the why first from God. That's why the kingdom has to flip itself on its head. And the first thing we need to do when we're dealing with God and getting people to know God is the why. Why, God? We prophesy over people and we bless people with, their, their, with what God is saying about their lives and they can grab onto that thing and they get a glimpse. It's only going to be a glimpse, but it's a why. It holds you to it. Number two, you must know your enemy. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that our, our wrestle is not, Christians really don't, really, they don't do this one super good. The wrestle is not against flesh and blood. It is not against other people. Your struggle is not against your spouse. It's not against your boss. It's not against your government. It's not against the cell phone company. It's not against the dandelions. It's not against any of those things. As I renew myself and prepare myself for another season. Your enemy is darkness, it's flesh, it's carnality, it's lies, deception, sensual wisdom, corruption, all words used in the scripture to, dis- to define the same thing. Matthew chapter 7, just to refresh your memory, is that the truth is narrow. You can't just believe something close to the truth. You can, we do, but that's not the objective. It doesn't make it truth because you believe half of it. The truth is still truth, and it is still the piece that is not truth in our lives is still my enemy, even when I am 50% along the way. Does that make sense? I'm still looking at my enemy, no matter how far down the road I get, my enemy is still the piece that I have not gotten yet. That's the only thing that is holding me against the fullness of my journey. Nothing else controls anything about what is going on except my real enemy, which is any deception that I might have on the inside of me. My job then becomes very focused. Anything off the path, anything that is not truth becomes my enemy. And you're only, luckily, you're only called to fight the ones you know about. I'm amazed that the more I learn about the scriptures, the more I know that I don't know. And the more I know that is wrong. It's crazy. It's almost like the, you know, when you first read through the Bible, there isn't a single reference in the Bible about struggling. I don't know what happened. But all of a sudden, when I start putting a teaching together about struggling, I realize it's on every stinking page. But when I read it, I didn't read that part because I don't like that part. Or the the grace of God was just closing my eyes to it, so I didn't see it. I was busy looking for the promises. Does that make some sense? So when you're going along, I'm looking for the continual flow of the understanding of what is going on in my life and where are the deceptions. Even this teaching, as much as it's, you know, you won't take this and can it. No, it's super important. It's super important. Fight the fight. When you see the fight, fight your fight first. Don't find out that there are planks and then go and see if you can dig one out of somebody else's eye. Okay? Don't do that. The Bible tells us, get the one out of your eye first. And then when you get the one out of your eye, okay, now, we can go help somebody else. Right? So much of the kingdom of God is me finding out what everybody else needs to be dealing with. That's not, where you should, that's not how the kingdom should work. 
The kingdom should work with victorious people who are helping people who want to be victorious in that area. That's how we make it easier, right? Rather than me being unvictorious in that area and telling you that you should be victorious in that area. I don't know how to do that because I'm not victorious in that area, but you should be. That doesn't, that's, yeah. Everybody can already see the math is falling apart there. Get all the way to the victory, at least in the battle that you are in, before you pick another fight. My problem when I came into the kingdom, well, it wasn't a problem when I came in, but very shortly thereafter, is that everything was on fire. And so I would go and fix this one and then half fix it. And then, okay, that's kind of under control now. Then I'd run over here and get this one, trying to put that fire out. And then I realized that after a couple of those, I realized the guy I started with is back on fire. And so I said to the Lord, I can take you to the spot. I said, Lord, is that my life that, I have, that I'm going to be a firefighter? And he says, well, just stop starting them. I didn't like that answer, but as it turns out, strangely, he was right. Get all the way to the end of the victory, put the fire out, and make sure it's out before you move on. I know that's going to seem like it's, it's not productive in our multitasking world, but it is more productive. It's called single front warfare. Hitler lost the Second World War because he decided in his wisdom that he was going to fight on two fronts. Between us and, us and the Russians, we beat them. Simple. Don't fight on two fronts. Fight on one. Put all of your energy into manage, leave, get everything else managed, but fight this one. Fight the one that you care about. Okay, number three. So number one, you must know the why. Number two, you must know your enemy. And number three, you must have a strategy and the will to bring it to pass. The will slash support to bring it to pass. Okay, because you could know your enemy and you could know your why, but you could have no strategy, no understanding of how to bring it to pass, and that's not going to help you. Romans chapter 12 tells us that transformation, not coping, is the mechanism of the New Testament. And so we'll talk about transformation. If you haven't got it, there's a whole bookstore worth of stuff there that go ahead and just feast. Mark chapter 4, the message, the gospel of the kingdom is about transformation. It is the message, the foundational message upon which the New Testament is built. Okay, so that's important. If you don't know that stuff, then we can talk about it another time. Maybe I'll get to it. For right now, do what's right. Now, most people don't think that you need to do what's right, but you do. In James chapter 4, it tells us if you know to do right and don't do it, that is sin. What? There is no sin in the New Testament. Yes, there is. You miss the mark all the time, which is what that word means. Romans 14 tells us that if you have any doubt that what you're doing is right and do it anyways, what is that? That's sin too. So if there's any doubt that what you might be doing is not the right thing to do, then don't do it. And so there is a section of this journey and transformational mechanism is the stop doing what you know is wrong to do. Just stop. I can't stop. Yes, you can. Just be nice. Just do what's right. Bite a hole in your tongue. I speak to myself. Ian, bite a hole in your tongue. Stop the bad fruit by picking off the buds. That works too. 
The way you pick off the buds is when they are first starting to show up on the tree. Pop them off there. The way you pop them off there, right? What you say and what you do, stop doing the wrong things. And if you were, if you were, first day that you got saved, you were told four things. Does anybody know what those four things are? Pray, Pray read your Bible, go to church and fellowship with believers of like passion. Those are still the right answer, okay? Pray, which means tongues and talk. That means talk to, pray in tongues first, talk to God second. Then listen and do. That's what prayer is all about, okay? Get in the zone, talk to God, then listen to God, and then do what God says. Go to church, or excuse me, read your Bible. The Bible's alive. It's food. Yes. It's strength. It's yeah. real. It's... It's the, the, the sustenance of what you need. Go to church. One, you'll find out that you're not alone. You'll find out that there's people in worse condition than you are, which is awesome. <laughs> Number two, there, are, there is leadership there. There's people who are kind of, you know, a little bit maybe a further ahead in the journey than you are in some areas, perhaps. Maybe that you're supposed to lead in other areas. The fellowship of those things with fellow strugglers is very good for us. And then there's the covering and the impartation that I talked about earlier for things that other people have gotten that they'll give to you. And they'll give them to you for free. Fellowship with people who are doing the same thing. There's mutual benefit in a support group. Do you know that? There's just something awesome that happens when two people that are struggling in similar ways come together and they go, what'd you try? How did you do it? What are you trying right now? How about if we hold ourselves accountable? All of those things are just good. They'll work for you. Work them. Right. If you want uh, uh, <laughs> a mutual benefit of a support group, uh, my observation, it is highly unlikely that you can do it on your own. Right. Highly unlikely. And as a matter of fact, if you think it's a good idea for you to do it on your own, there's a problem into itself. So... The, the, the strategy, simple strategy of getting yourself into this motion is to engage in a transformational way using prayer, read your Bible, go to church, fellowship with believers in order to do that. It's actually not that complicated. And finally, victorious over the struggle, when we get to the beautiful place of automatically flowing things into our lives, that so we don't have to work for them, they just arrive, then one, as I reiterate, what am I able to do with that? I'm able to empower others with that. Even your life showing people that that is even a place. Most people in this world do not believe in automazio. They do not believe that your belief system produces things automatically flowing into your lives. You increase the corporate anointing in the zones that you are in, which means as we gather together and we all have the same heart and victory, then we start to have a more transformational force just because there's more of us there. It's kind of like the mass, the physical mass of the anointing. Number three, you fulfill that piece of your destiny, that piece that you were given to fight and overcome was actually something that was on your path of destiny. It will not only affect you, it will affect everything in all of time from that moment on. 
in your life and lineage. That's why you are assigned to it, because it matters. And you are going to pass it on down the line for a million years if that takes God that long to get here from heaven. And then finally, it will empower you to head to your next struggle. God bless you. Have a great night. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that your life was impacted by this service and you are able to feel the tangible love of Jesus fill whatever space you're listening from. Maybe you found this message and you've never had the opportunity to come into a personal relationship with Jesus, or you've known about him, but been far from him. We wanna give you the opportunity to make his love a daily reality in your life. Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross so that you could be close to him. He wanted to wipe away every disappointment and bring you into a life of purpose and meaning, one that will impact this globe for good. If you'd like to begin this journey with Jesus today, then just repeat this simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've made mistakes and been living without you. I apologize and I trust that you will forgive me I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my Savior and my Lord. Help me believe in you and love you every day. And help me to show the world what you're like and how great your love is. I commit to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All of our Light City family are joining with heaven and celebrating over the commitment you have just made to make Jesus the Lord of your life. We have resources available for you to help you on this journey. And most of all, we're praying for you. Send us a note at info at golightcity.com to let us know about the decision you've made today. We have resources we would love to send you with some easy steps on where to go from here so that you can discover God in a real and meaningful way. If you have a prayer request, our team would love to connect with you and partner with you to see God transform your life. God bless you, and we look forward to hearing from you real soon.